longer the pandemic goes on, the more appealing quick fixes become whether we should pursue herd immunity is a fair question to ask. We have nothing to lose by exploring the idea. If we find out it offers a better cost-benefit profile, then we should go with it. If it doesn't, then we need to unify and stick to the goal, wholeheartedly returning to life as it was or resuming a total lockdown are also not the only options available to us. Dispense with this idea and consider these five aspects. 1. Economy. The health of our economy will reflect how well we handle the virus namely, how well we control and suppress it. Our economy will probably not truly recover until the spread of infection has been controlled. Pursuing herd immunity may lead to economic depression long term. We know this from historical, theoretical, and real-life COVID-19 data, with Sweden suffering more economic decline and unemployment than its most like peers. Both Goldman Sachs and Wall Street Journal support this position and have released studies too. The percentage required for immunity and mild versus serious illness How many people have to catch the virus for us to gain herd immunity depends upon how well it spreads. The lowest percentage of the population that must catch the virus and develop immunity for us to have herd immunity is likely between 43 to 60 percent. We're likely around 5 percent so we need to repeat the number of infections and deaths from the last six months around 10 times, to give a more tangible example. The current evidence does not support the idea that we would be done with this outbreak by now if we had not shut down the country. 3. Heavyweight champions of the world Around 160 million Americans are obese or overweight. Nearly 30% of those under the age of 20 are obese or overweight it's not just adults. Nearly half of the American population has an elevated risk for serious illness and death, and that must inform how we handle the crisis. Obesity increases your risk for admission to ICU significantly and increases your risk for COVID-19-related pneumonia, which has a fatality rate twice that of non-COVID-19-related pneumonia. 4. We have concerns besides death to consider the virus causes a range of strange symptoms, disability, and declines caused by the virus that may require rehabilitation for a significant portion of people recovering, and mechanical ventilation required by the sickest people may cause permanent scarring in their lungs. Micro-lesions on the brain like that of many strokes are reportedly common in severe cases. 5. The virus can infect and multiply in human brain cells We don't know what it means for us in the long run, nor how often the virus is making it into the brain. Will the economy improve if we give up trying to slow the spread of coronavirus? The health of our economy reflects the degree to which we control the virus, and our economy will not truly recover until the spread of infection has been controlled. Pursuing herd immunity may lead to an economic depression far greater than that of measures to control the spread of COVID-19. We know this from historical, theoretical, and real-life COVID-19 data, with Sweden suffering more economic decline and unemployment than its most like peers. The lack of action did not spare Sweden because it is the pandemic and not the measures to control it, which hurt the economy, especially in the long term. The Wall Street Journal, which surveyed economists finding 90% agreed, and Goldman Sachs have both noted that the economy cannot tolerate continued lockdown and will probably not recover until we have controlled the virus. The US has an uncoordinated, incoherent effort to gain control of its outbreak, and our results reflect this. Federal Reserve officials voiced similar views. If you are curious about the sudden decline in anti-mask sentiments of late, Starting in July 2020 major financial institutions began releasing their grim fiscal outlooks for the US, finding that controlling the virus offered us the best outlook. Money talks except if it's public health experts telling people the same thing about the same money. The World Bank reported in 2014, later shared by the WHO's Director General, 
that 90% of economic losses in a pandemic come from uncoordinated and irrational efforts. How many people have to catch the virus for us to gain herd immunity depends upon how well it spreads. The lowest percentage of the population that must catch the virus and develop immunity for us to have herd immunity is likely between 43 to 60%. We're likely around 5% so we need to repeat the number of infections and deaths from the last 6 months around 10 times, to give a more tangible example. The current evidence does not support the idea that we would be done with this outbreak by now if we had not shut down the country. The minimum percentage of immune people capable of providing herd immunity is likely 43% to 60%. The more actions we take to prevent spread, the lower that percentage might go. If we artificially lower the virus's ability to spread, we're decreasing the number of people it infects. If we get the number of people infected by each existing infected person below one person on average, the virus declines. How we can achieve that could be a vaccine, natural infection, distancing, masks, contact tracing, shutdown, and many other options. Reaching this goal will likely require using several methods imperfectly 70% contact tracing could control the outbreak in three months. But 70% is not a perfect job we don't need perfection, we just need evidence-based methods that we all abide. The following will be an imprecise and informal discussion. Calculating more accurately with more variables and complicated equations is likely to leave you more confused than when you began reading. It's also unnecessary for one to see the problem. Assume. About 20% will have a serious illness, and 80% will have mild illness. 1% will die. The major distinction between the severe and mild is COVID-related pneumonia, and the risk for that is not equal for everyone. 1% of people become ill and die 19% of people infected suffer severe illness and may require hospitalization but recover, eventually 80% have a mild disease which may include fever and cough but not hospitalization some may have no symptoms if the US has 330 million people, then we need around 165 million people with immunity. That's 50% of the population, which is the middle ground in the most recent estimate of 43 to 60%, that must catch the virus and gain immunity for the virus to decline we will assume immunity stays. Realistically, other coronaviruses infect people, provoke immunity for around 12 months, and studies specific to this coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2, have found the immunity may wane after only a few months. For this a high of simplicity, because there are other even relevant details that should grab your attention, we will assume the unlikely scenario that immunity lasts forever. A recent study estimated 5% of the US has immunity, though what that immunity looks like remains unclear. If the fatality rate of 1% is correct and the US has around 150,000 people who have died of COVID-19 the true count is likely higher given what we see in all-cause deaths increasing around the country then that supports this study's estimate that around 5% of the US has been infected. We need 50% of people infected and recovered. The people who die won't become part of our immune percentage. Speaking imprecise. If we have 5% immunity overall, then we need to repeat the last 6 months, in terms of cases and deaths. 10 times at a minimum. If we did it over a shorter period to get it over with, the number of people who died would likely explode as hospitals overflowed and healthcare workers fall ill. Resource rationing would become non-negotiable and could require death panels as one county in the US convened. The shorter the path to 43 to 60%, the more preventable deaths we will see. For comparison. Seasonal influenza requires about 30% immunity, but we also start with some level of immunity from past infections and have a vaccine. Heavyweight champions of the world around 160 million Americans are obese or overweight. 
nearly 30% of those under the age of 20 are obese or overweight, it's not just adults that changes our risk, and how much it changes depends on how many people have those risk factors and how much they worsen your rods. Conditions common in the US like cardiovascular disease, cancer, diabetes, osteoarthritis, and chronic kidney disease all increase the chances of serious illness if infected with SARS-2. Starting at a BMI of 23, the risk for conditions that make hospitalization and death more likely increases. The risk increases with BMI when the pneumonia from COVID-19 has twice the mortality rate seen with non-COVID-19 viral pneumonia, and obesity increases the risk of developing COVID-related pneumonia. Patients with obesity or diabetes ended up in the ICU at higher rates. One study reported increased ICU admission risk per condition, overweight, 2.45 times, obese, 3.5 times, morbid obesity, 5.18 times, diabetes, 5.49 times. Among the lifestyle factors examined, only overweight obesity associated with pneumonia considering eight lifestyle factors. The risk increase was nearly three times the norm. Around 10% of Americans with diabetes are not overweight, so we cannot assume all overlap, nor can we assume all overweight people as elderly or diabetic. Most notably, 88 million American adults approximately 1 in 3 have pre-diabetes about 40% of COVID-19 deaths so far happened to people with diabetes. Forbes analyzed the current data in a July 23 article, individuals with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, heart disease, diabetes, chronic kidney disease, and obesity experience more complications from the virus, with the CDC noting hospitalizations, were six times higher. ICU admission five times higher and fatalities 12 times higher than for those without those conditions. COVID-19 may also cause people to develop diabetes. A June 12th letter to the New England Journal of Medicine expressed concern about the relationship between COVID-19 and diabetes that may go both ways. On the one hand, we associate diabetes with an increased risk of severe COVID-19. New-onset diabetes and severe metabolic complications of pre-existing diabetes. One can reasonably conclude that obesity alone means Americans have a higher risk than other areas of the world, and then there are other chronic conditions, old age and other factors we will probably understand better with time. Our risk is not the same as the risk in other countries, and that must inform our response. If these risk factors boosted our overall fatality rate to 3%, that would mean losing 5 million Americans. We lost 675,000 in the 1918 pandemic, including young and the middle-aged Americans. How much our characteristics as a country could actually boost the percentage, I cannot say, and I'm not sure anyone can. Death is not the only undesirable outcome about 35% of people with COVID-19 still have symptoms two to three weeks later per the CDC morbidity and mortality report released July 24, 2020. Symptoms frequently last six weeks or more. That matters for the rate of hospital turnover and affects how long a sick person is absent from work. What seems inconsequential on a small scale becomes alarming on a large one. As an example, in 1918 half of a hospital's nursing staff caught the flu over two or three weeks. Had that been COVID-19, many more people would have died as a result because it affects people for much longer. The seasonal flu resolves for 90% of people two weeks after onset compared to 35% of people still having symptoms two to three weeks after COVID-19 onset the worst of which may be the confusion and unknown long-term mental effects. People who require help breathing from ventilation may get COVID lung, scarring from the ventilation or life support. That may have lifelong consequences for anyone. The virus causes a range of poorly understood, unexpected symptoms, significant disability, 
and declines that may require rehabilitation for many people recovering. Disability related to COVID-19 could come from strokes, heart attacks, and small lesions in the brain, already recognized as a common complication of severe COVID-19. That's independent of its ability to infect brain cells, which we'll address shortly. The five U.S. states with the most COVID-19 related deaths also saw all-cause deaths increase, not decreases as some have speculated in the press or on social media, and it's improbable that all relate to delayed care. This suggests that we have undercounted deaths and not overcounted, regardless of the perception of financial incentives to mark deaths incorrectly. Increases in the U.S. overall for 2020, diabetes, 96%, heart diseases, 89%, Alzheimer's disease, 64%, and cerebrovascular diseases, 35%, and, New York City specifically saw increases in heart disease, 398%, and diabetes, 356%, and both conditions increase your risk of death with COVID-19. If they had no respiratory symptoms, one could easily misattribute a death and we know people have died without respiratory symptoms. Everything says this virus both infects and multiplies well in human brain cells. Research on the study from Johns Hopkins published this July, affirmed that the results should at the least lead us to avoid infection as much as possible. We must be careful not to mistake correlation for causality in the deaths. COVID-19 patients have had infected brain tissue found on autopsy. The virus' closest relatives. SARS and MERS, also infected brain tissue. While a lockdown could increase some deaths from care delays, the sheer number of all-cause excess deaths and the conditions seeing increases, like Alzheimer's disease with one of the highest increases, beg questions we must answer. I do not assert that all excess deaths are COVID-19 deaths or that COVID-19 frequently infects the brain. All we know is that it's possible and we have a plausible means by which the virus could do this. That warrants caution people who have already suffered neurological abnormalities only affirm the need for caution. This is one of many concerning finds, we don't know what they mean long term. Were this the first outbreak of measles, it would be years before we found fatal measles encephalitis. The same is true for chickenpox and shingles. If a virus capable of causing cancer spread through the human population, it might be silent for decades. Then, your doctor finds an irregular pap smear as with human papillomavirus or abnormal liver function test, which leads to finding advanced liver cancer, as sometimes happens with hepatitis. I share this not to scare people, but because people deserve the truth and they can handle it. We know uncertainty makes identical circumstances worse because people adjust and accept their reality, where uncertainty leads to mental changes that make us behave like rats chronically using methamphetamine Yale found it. Not me it also makes updating information more difficult, and that is critical in a crisis where people often believe the first message they hear regardless of its merit. People have a right to information that affects them. Those in power do not have a legal right or ethical argument for withholding, nor does the evidence support it being wise. It almost always makes situations worse because risks we take ourselves with full knowledge. Bother us less than those we took because we were not informed of the dangers. You can hear about our past mistakes and their consequences here, we do not know if there will be long-term consequences of infection with this coronavirus. There is no way to know that is our reality. If I said I knew, I'd be lying. The virus can infect the brain cells, but how often it happens and what consequences it is remain unknown. No evidence yet says that this will do anything in the long term, but we do not know. I think very few people want to find out the hard way, but that is a choice for people to make for themselves, not me you now have all you need to decide what you think about the herd immunity. Stay safe. Do not lose hope. And I wish you the best of luck. Thank you for listening to this audio article written by E. Rosalie. 
thenovel-science.com to make sure you never miss a new article, click the subscription link in the show notes.